Hey everyone, Louie from Kick the Jukebox here. Just wanted to let you know that what you're listening to is the podcast version of Kick the Jukebox with shorter music clips. If you want to listen to the whole shebang, visit our show page at kpiss.fm. That's K-P-I-S-S dot F-M. Okay, thanks for listening, and bombs away! Kick the Jukebox is so much fun. Kyle and Louie are number one. Kicking a rhyme, talking about music all the time. Oh, yeah! Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Kick the Jukebox. I'm Louis Perlman. And I'm Kyle Gordon. Here we are. It's a beautiful July afternoon slash early evening. Kyle, how are you? I am wonderful. The sun is out. Uh, It's hot out, but I live for the heat. Yeah, Do you like I, it when it's like this? I love the heat. I don't care. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool here at Kpiss. Yeah, they kept it cool. It's a it's a it's a uh, as you all know, an RV in the middle of a parking lot. So the fact that uh, this is not a hot box in here right now is a um, pleasant surprise. But it's nice and cool in here. Uh, the sun is shining. It's a hot summer day, but um, I live for the summer. Yeah, and you should live for the summer. There we go. Now I'm talking through the right mic. It might have, I might have been a little quieter before. All but right, no, well, I should now be he's good. back. Louis yeah, now back. I should be like nice and healthy in my. Uh, yeah, yeah, I sound good. I'm so, monitoring. And, so and I am. I uh, I was gone last week. I know you guys killed it, but uh, I and did the the Nilsson episode. Yeah, and uh, but I'm. So excited to be back in the studio. Yeah, it's nice to it's nice to be here. So this is Kick the Jukebox. We love doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a podcast, so you can find us on all the podcatchers. You can rate us and review us on iTunes. And if this is your first time listening, just a little bit about what we do. We're going to talk about, uh, we talk about a new album of music uh, every episode, but then we talk about a little bit about what we've been listening to, some things we like, some things we're interested in. And, yeah, what's uh, the album we're going to talk about today? It's a classic. The album we're going to talk about today is Carpenter's Close to You from 1970. Wow, that's the most, you know, pulled together we've ever been with this <laughs> intro. We just did a really we good job it. with that. Yeah. We're growing stronger. We are. We're growing stronger every day. Every moment, we're growing stronger yep. in our music geekdom. Indeedly doodly. Indeedly doodly. <laughs> so, you know, you know, Kyle and I always have a little chat about, like, well, what do you want to talk about? And I actually want to start with my track today. Okay. Because I think that your track that you want to talk about <laughs> actually ties in really well with the Carpenters record and okay. so it was interesting thematic way yes interesting and my track sort of is is like the fringe track of the episode which yes. happens sometimes yes so let's listen to a little bit of it first uh, to get going uh, <laughs> this is a song by uh, a band called Sweeney Todd and it is called <laughs> Roxy Roller Okay, so that's Roxy Roller. We're going to try something new today that is very, very uh, cunning that I've heard other music podcasters do. Is 
we're going to talk over the rest of the song. Oh, interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then that way we can like still listen to some of it, but skirt some rights issues that you can have on podcasts. Oh, heck yeah. I know. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> so anyway. We're growing stronger. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see if this works. This <laughs> might get us kicked off forever. Okay. But this is Roxy Roller by a band called Sweeney Todd. And uh, it's got Louie written all over it. Well, okay. So, I think so. Oh, I think so. It? So yeah, much yeah. so. But this is kind of a funny thing about this song. So... The reason why I've been listening to this lately is because this is a song that falls into the genre of junk shop glam. Yeah, which is I definitely I was gonna say it's like sweet saccharine glam all over it. But yeah, junk shop glam is not a phrase I've heard before. Yeah, junk shop glam is a genre of music that I'm learning about, which is basically like the trashier side of of seventies glam rock. Huh, interesting. So you know, like. You know, Bowie and T-Rex, they were a little more respected. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, you get into, like, Mott the Hoople. Yeah. Who, like, respected, but, like, a little trashier. Yeah, yeah, And then yeah. you get into, like, Sweet. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. Slade. Yeah, yeah, And shit yeah. like this. Yeah. And that's where you get into this junk shop glam sound. Oh, huh, interesting. So, yeah. I, I thought forever that this song and i remember this song being played on like old time radio formats there's the song there we talked over it <laughs> i remember this song being played on the radio and like classic rock radio formats while i was growing up Interesting. and i always assumed it was british well yeah, i would have hey guess what it's <laughs> fucking canadian <laughs> i know you know like i inadvertently brought another CanCon song without realizing it until i started researching it for this episode i uh yeah i, I mean that would also explain why you maybe heard it on the radio growing up because yeah because i was gonna say like you had a really you, eclectic right? classic rock radio if yes <laughs> yeah absolutely but yeah. this is like hearing I just listened to uh, cold as ice over and over and over again <laughs> <laughs> yeah no shit yeah yeah which we'll cover one day we'll cover cold, yeah, yeah, yeah. cold as ice is great actually <laughs> but it's interesting. Um, th- I feel like this sort of occupied the programming space in Canada that like Ballroom Blitz would have right. here in the States. Or totally. In, or, in, uh, or in England. Yeah. And this song was somewhat popular in the States and in England as well, but of course charted very well in Canada. This is a band that was from Vancouver, mm-hmm. <laughs> very much like the Poppy family, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you know, yeah. who we talked about a few episodes ago. Yep, yep. And this had Nick Gilder, uh, as the singer and a guy named Jim McCullough, which is a very Canadian name, <laughs> as a guitar yeah, as McCullough. as the guitarist. Yeah, oh, I'm oh, you know, I'm Jim McCullough. Okay, <laughs> eh? you know, it's me. <laughs> and then after the first record, uh, they quit. They went on to have quite successful solo careers. Huh. Uh, which and uh, I might cover some of their solo stuff, which I also remember from the radio. It was sort of early to mid '80s, kind of like. Um, smooth rock you know that kind of stuff that's sort of what they grew into doing right um and then for a very brief amount of time and this is very uh, for me this is very interesting when they had to replace the uh the um the lead singer they replaced him with a 15 year old brian adams really yeah and brian adams sucks (laughs) I hate him. You will not get. Uh, that's something we definitely agree on. I am. There's no. Uh, yeah. I, there's no R- Brian uh, Adams apologists here. Yeah, <laughs> Brian Adams. Mm-hmm. I had to hear everything I do. I do it for you. Literally like eight thousand times <laughs> on Canadian radio when I was in sixth grade and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves came out. <laughs> and I think Summer of '69 is literally one of the most. But you know, it's actually about fucking '69ing. But it's not, and it should be. <laughs> Wait, it's not. It, about '69ing. 
thing? No, yeah. I think it's supposed to be about like we're Love. all kids in Canada. That's it's, so- and it's so fucking <laughs> it's so tone deaf, which is actually a great thing to talk about with the song you're going to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. Summer of '69 is so so tone deaf in that it's like this like awash in nostalgia fucking mm-hmm. song. Mm-hmm. And 1969 was the hardest time ever, but not for Canadians hanging out on your mama's porch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or not even Canadians really, because Canadian Canada was smart and didn't go to Vietnam. Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, 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 you know, yeah, yeah. it's like it's like these Canadian kids being like, "Wasn't this a great summer?" <laughs> yeah, 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 and it was yeah. like, "Yeah, it was a really great summer." You were hanging out, listening like fucking Andy Kim. <laughs> you know, like, oh Jesus Christ. You know, so every time I hear that in the grocery store, it you know what it does? It really grinds my, my gears, gears, Kyle. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, but this song, I think, really hits the sweet spot of just being having a really good, thick hook to it, mm. having an excellent, excellent chorus. And it's just like a super glammy glam song. Super like, glammy glam, which I'm which I'm really into right now. And there's like heavy. Well, there's something about that era, like the sort of early to mid 70s when it came to sort of glam and what was being on the playing played on the radio where I feel like it's infused into the song and into the vocal delivery and into the lyrics where everything is like very subtly dirty Mm, like there's a real sexiness to this I think is uh, so cool and akin to and uh Sort of this one directly includes sort of like a bubblegum. Well, you know? you know, they use this this line, which is... But then there was like candy stuff in there, wasn't there? There's too? candy stuff in there, but I'm actually... I'm just going to bring up the lyrics, uh, which I was looking at today and prep for this, uh, because that line in particular, the bubblegum line, is really worth just, um, just like looking at here. It's... <laughs> okay, so that line... Is five bob job? She gets bubblegum on her knees. Five bob job. Five bob job. Which t- to me, I mean, that if, if Roxy is getting bubblegum on her knees, <laughs> she has to be blowing somebody <laughs> yeah, 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 in yeah, like yeah. in a really yeah. unclean environment, hmm. you know. Uh, and that's like taking all of sort of that candy imagery, which I've talked about extensively on the show. The candy, right. the the sort of the subverting right. the. The stuff that's very childlike with the stuff that's very adult and sort of taking it to that next level where I feel like it just couldn't be sustainable anymore. Yeah. You know, and all these glam guys, despite, you know, what they did in bed with other people, (laughs) they were really playing with gender and they were they were they were playing with, um, you know, playing with what people's assumptions about their sexuality were in a really big way. And like. It just was an unsustainable genre for the time socially. Yeah. You know, like they just couldn't, you know, they just, they just couldn't do it, (laughs) you know? And, and that's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why sort of what rose out of this was sort of all the, all the horror stuff, you Mm. know, like, you know, like the Alice Cooper, Alice Cooper, who was very, very uh, gender bendy, glammy, and then sort of segued into being basically like the Vincent Price of like rock and roll. (laughs) Right, 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 right. And and that's not a diss. It's just, no, no, no. It's just like conservatism couldn't deal with, with what was going on. And like this song, it's just like, this song is like sex, sex, fucking sex, like sex right now, you know? And yeah, I guess they, yeah, thinking about it, like the glammy stuff had to take sort of the cartoonishness or the, um, just the extravagance of it and then but then like channel it in a more macho direction as the like 
decade wore on and then you got into hair metal and stuff it's like that's what it became absolutely where you know the only remnant was the long hair yeah you know at the end of the day and the tight outfits too but there's androgyny but like they had to have other elements of explicit sort of like heteronormativity yeah it was almost like a uh, like a butch androgyny right 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 right, which is kind of interesting you know as opposed to this which really was sort of a true androgyny right androgyny like even like twisted sister who claimed that all these guys were hugely influential on them there was just something a little more butch about the way d snyder approached all of it once again not a diss on like no any of that any of that despite him looking like uh He's like a kabuki theater. Totally. Kind of yeah. Well, maybe that's the thing is it owes more towards different traditions that use makeup as it does to like, like pure like drag or, mm-hmm. you know, that that kind of world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Very anyway, Roxy Roller, everybody. Woohoo! An actual good song, which. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You brought in the first song that we we don't really like, which no. is really. But it's going to be a really good combo. Yeah. So, tell so this us is, yeah, probably the first is. one I brought in because, you know. We think about, we bring in the song of the week. It's like, what's been fascinating you and obsessing, you've been obsessing over. And uh, yeah, this is one I've been fascinated by and obsessed with because it is so horrifically tone deaf and horrible. And there's so much backstory. I don't know. It's so bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. I looked into the backstory for this. We'll talk about it. Yeah. But let's listen to half of it and then talk over the other half. We're so killing the game today. So this is... JD and the Straight Shot. Yep. I don't know if any of you yep. listening have ever heard of JD. Most and the Most people shot. haven't. They haven't sold, ma- sold many albums. So. No, they <laughs> certainly haven't. And this song. Oh, you know what? I need to cue it up. Actually, why don't you give us just a little um, intro for it? Yeah, I don't uh, want to give too much away. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but but yeah. this is this song is called the Great Divide. I think the th- this came out in 2019. The themes yeah. will be. So this Im- is the most modern song we've literally yeah. ever covered. Which yeah, is very true. Very yeah. true. Um, I think the themes of the song will be embarrassingly and immediately apparent. And yeah, it's by the band uh, JD and the Straight Shot, sort of like blues, folk, dad rock. (laughs) (laughs) It's the great divide. Stick around, you will find. Can't see your point, cause I'm blind. Your voice not changing my mind. Gonna make you hurt, gonna make you mad. Won't say you're sorry, but wish you had the great divide. Okay, so that's the great divide. By uh, JD and the Straight Shot. So, yeah, I mean, I think that our audience probably gets the deal with that song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. However, something that is interesting about it when I listen to it a few times for this is just that, like, it's not, this is not a right-wing song. No. Uh, I, and I don't think we should characterize it as such. No, but that's what's so embarrassing is that it's like, it's like, like, est- well, I'll say, we'll say why. It's like establishment center left like norm like uh mainstream democrat or maybe senator right kind of coming from that uh, i mean but it's it's like like, it's pretty much it's it's, not talking about the horrors of trump it's nothing it's nothing yeah nothing in 2019 just to be just to write a song about how we're so divided yeah the most like trite obvious like useless why do we need a song about yeah we're divided and the only type of 
songwriter that would write a song like this is someone who never, no one ever says no to him. Yes. And that's exactly. what we're, we're going to get into. So, Kyle, why don't you do the big reveal? All right. This band, JD and the Straight Shot, who's the front man of this band, Kyle? The front man of this band is James Dolan, the owner of the New York Knicks, the New York Rangers. Uh, Cablevision. Yeah, Cablevision. And Madison Square Garden, among other holdings. So this is a vanity project for him. This is a country rock, dad rock vanity project. That's been going on since like the, like 2005. Yeah. And he's worth $1.5 billion. And he, he, this is not self-made man. He inherited all these things from his dad. Oh, he's a little, like a little Trumpy. A little, yeah, uh, yeah, Yeah. totally. Mm -hmm. Um, And also... I, I'd have to give uh, credence to Nick, Nick's fans, too. He is one of known to be despised by everyone in the NBA, especially the Knicks, for being an incompetent owner and overseeing one of the worst periods in Nick's history. And, so I'll just say that. And something that I read, which is despotic and, and, and despicable, yes. <laughs> is that... Uh, Madison Square Garden employees yes. are expected to attend these shows yes. that he does with this band. Yeah, and he plays at like City Winery all the time. Sure. And, like little mm-hmm. stupid places. Yeah, and, um, not that we're calling City Winery no, 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 a little no, no, stupid no. place. Give and us free, other, yeah, give yeah, us free yeah. tickets to no, no, see stuff City Winery. Places. Yeah, City Winery and then also stupid places. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and... Uh, oh, I thought you were going to say that... He's um, also um, toward and support of like ZZ Top... Well, th- but, you, but the reason why is, he, no, he's opened for the Allman Brothers. That's right. The, the Eagles. Eagles yeah. Uh, Jewel. All at Madison Jewel. Square Garden because uh, he owns Madison like, Square I'm Garden. I'm going to open for y'all. Yeah, exactly. And then God. He, he, he their music gets into TV shows that he, yes, that has he a produces. Controlling, that he produces. Yeah. So... Um, it's it's really insane, and the 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 band itself. I mean, it's clearly it's like all these like very good support musicians. It's people that have played for like Levon Helm. Yeah, well, because he like, paid them to just yeah, be in his band, which I get. You yeah. know, you got to be a working musician. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's really demented, and it's kind of like it's got elements of the room. It's kind of got elements yes. of like Foxcatcher. Like, um, if you see the the uh, what, what's his name, um. The, the it's pretty much the story of this. Uh, he's not a Rockefeller, but he's from one of those big families. Yeah, yeah. And I never saw Foxcatcher. Just fill us in, and then we can talk about the room as well in comparison. I think that's really smart. Yeah, yeah. But just he, he. I mean, it's a movie about, and then based on the true story that um, he, you know, this Zion of this wealthy family worth billions of dollars, pretty much paid to have the. U.S. Uh, Olympic wrestling team. He fully funded them and had them on his um, property. And then he like tried to take over the team. He wanted to join the team. This is like a sixty-year-old weirdo man who just like does not get it, but can pay to literally have to fully fund the U.S. Olympic wrestling team. Yeah, and event ended up shooting one of the re- shooting, killing one of the wrestlers just because he was so. Um, delusional yeah, about crazy and entitled yeah exactly uh and it has feeling you know this feels like that but not to mention that he like oh one thing i'll also mention he's being sued by um uh like shareholders of madison square garden yeah for not 
for not spending enough time actually doing duties as the CEO of Madison Square Garden and spending too much time touring with his band. Yeah, because he just wants to play with his band, man. He just wants to play with his band. Oh, man. Uh, you know, and then The Room, just to talk about that a little bit in comparison, because it's a good... Totally comparison you know that's a, a director oh what's that guy's name again Tommy Wiseau yeah Tommy Wiseau thank you so much <laughs> who basically self-funded this very very right. very for strange, a million dollars yeah like you know drama that he made that's very funny yeah in, unintentionally right uh and seems like it's written and directed by someone who's literally never interacted with another human being. yes exactly um you know and it's 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 become a cult classic and he's really embraced sort of the camp aspects of his personality right. and god bless him for that yeah you know but this is uh, this is a little different totally. in that there really is no sense of fun right. in this song right which is so and all their songs sad and yeah and it's so interesting in contrast to a lot of the overly commercial projects that we've talked about on this show right where it's all hired session musicians right and you'd think that they would just bang it in and out and not care right. but it sounds like they're having tons of fun right you know we're talking about like when we did that episode about like Joey Levine you know right. that kind of stuff uh, you know and it's it's like you know any of the bubblegum stuff that I brought in but a lot of the pop stuff that we've talked about is all these session people right. but really seem to be enjoying themselves even something like Get Into The Groove you know mm -hmm. which we've talked about on this show like Madonna yeah. you know all those musicians that could have sounded soulless and instead sounds like a record that has a lot of life Yes. and yes. then here's this guy that's clearly terrible to work for yes. because if he was fun right. he could hire all these people and be a fucking multi-millionaire <laughs> yeah. and they could all be having fun with him and right. they're clearly not and clearly. that's really upsetting and, and and also, it's 2019 to basically write a song that's like where the thesis is America is divided. It's like no shit. We need action steps here. This and is also not what coming music from is for someone right now. who is worth 1.5 billion dollars donated to the Trump campaign. Of course, and of like, course. And also, uh, or donated to the Republican Party. Yeah. And 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 it's like so clearly, um, you know, he's. He's part of what people are divided over. Absolutely. People like him. Well, this is an interesting thing to be talking about at Kick the Jukebox, but I feel like we can go there as like, th this is a really interesting example of just the corporatization of like all of our culture. Yes, totally. A and, yeah. and how anything that's at all successful or vibrant just gets swallowed. And this is just a direct version of that right you know but there's ain't nothing wrong with a nice bluegrass roots rock band oh, but look God. at what happened you know yeah, yeah, yeah. and and this is the sign of success this is the sign that this style of music is incredibly american and yeah. there's a vibrancy to it that has just been completely misinterpreted by this guy that yeah. doesn't have the life experience to be writing from this perspective right 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 yeah it's like the height of bad taste and yeah, yeah, it's bad taste. It's combined bad taste with without, no fun. without being trashy. Right. So it's exactly. not fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, fuck you, James Dolan. Fuck you, James Dolan. Yeah, we don't like you. You're not. Ooh. You're not invited on the but show. You know what? We're not alone. We have a legion of basketball fans who could uh, back yeah. us up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who hopefully will become kick the jukebox. People fans come. Now. People go to his shows and heckle him. It's hilarious. <laughs> So Th this they is say kick sell the team. <laughs> this is Kick the Jukebox on Capus.fm, the Golden Stream. We're uh, broadcasting out of the beautiful podcast RV in Bushwick, Brooklyn, the home of baseball in America. Yep. And uh, let's get into it. This is our album of the uh, of the week. It is 
uh, Close to You by The Carpenters. So this is one of Kyle's picks. So I'd love to start this conversation by just asking Kyle, what does this album mean to you? Why is it important to you? Why do you want to talk about it? Um... I've I'm I think I've just become fa- well I sort of to continue our conversation it's yeah. like questions of taste and popular taste yeah. and hip music taste how it changes and mutates over time and context and the larger music trends can really radically shift how we look at and interpret uh, a particular band and the Carpenters I think is the best or one of the best examples of that I've just been fascinated with how not only them as a band but their type of music yeah. um, has sort of been reinterpreted and embraced by different um, pockets of the music world in really interesting ways over the course you know since they first came out so I've been fascinated by that um, and I think that's really why I want to talk about it. And, uh, especially as people we've, you know, we, we, we've talked about albums that are like super hip and everyone loves. We've talked about some albums that maybe, you know, uh, like w- w- it's a little unclear where like the hip music people, what they think about them. And yeah. Stuff that's really personal to us. Like I'd say that Jane Weedlin album really is, yeah. is, is that, you totally. know, Right. Yeah. Like, um, stuff that we really like that we think should be brought more out to the masses. You know. Right. Yeah. And, the, and like and stuff like when it's like there's super hip underground stuff that has like you know really good um, like music credibility. People think it's good. And then there's like super poppy stuff that maybe in its time is not appreciated i think but then you know over time it gets reinterpreted you know i was talking i was at a record store and you know uh this woman came in and was like looking for kate bush yeah and the and the guy at the record store was like man you should have been here 10 years ago no one gave a shit about kate totally she was just like another british pop singer more or less yeah and then she gets reinterpreted and re you know yeah as her career has been given a real different look yeah Yeah. just just based on the current music trends and what people uh you know the melting pot of different you know influences of people that get popular so i think the carpenters are a great example of that and that's why uh i want to talk about it and that's why it it, uh it fascinates me yeah absolutely for me uh, I just want to say I haven't given a lot of thought to the Carpenters, mm. and this very well may be because they're looked at as being so unhip. Yes. Why would I want to be associated with something so unhip? Right. And that in itself is just shows that I come from a privileged place where I can like make some real hard decisions about my my uh, my music taste. Right. And that's something that's actually very classist. Like I can only do that because I have the luxury to do that. Right. And that, yeah, that's y- interesting. Yeah. yeah, you know, like you know, like I've had a lot of time. Right. Uh, to, to because I'm not working three jobs and, right. and supporting you know three children you know uh-huh. on my own. Right. Unlike a lot of the people that really like this record mm-hmm. um you know so i can sit and find all these like uh obscure you know all my obscure like bubblegum rock stuff yes, or like yes. now i'm like you know like oh i'm gonna like spend a month like looking into this junk shop glam genre that no one else has ever fucking heard of you yes. know what i mean so it's like so here's this record that's really really huge and it was also like at the time looked at as being super square. Yes. That was part of the marketing for this record. Yes. Was that it was really square. And because of that, 
uh, sort of in the larger music world, it was looked at being square when actually the Carpenters and particularly Richard Carpenter, who was the main musician behind the band, was a really, really brilliant uh, songwriter and arranger. Yes. Which we'll get into. And I think that's why, and we could talk about it a little bit, why they've been embraced by like hip like well, over the court, like in the '90s, like all they, there was this great album, "If I Were a Carpenter," where all these like alternative yeah. rock artists like covered their music, and they were like sort of reembraced. And then like newer music, like uh, Mac DeMarco and Whitney, these new like hipstery bands yeah. are like totally embracing their aesthetic. And I think the reason why, um, and and I think that's that's a testament to like the staying power of their music. And then also, you know, why you know. There's a reason why we're talking about the Carpenters and we're not talking about the Osmonds or Captain and Tennille or all these other yep. like sappy square bands um, that yeah, where there's actually a lot less going on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, I think there's a lot there's, you know, uh, once you I think not only once you strip away their, their like their place in music history as being super square, like mom music from like <laughs> yeah. 1970. Um, you know, people, it was for people with no taste. It's easy listening. It's, uh, that's, that's how it was understood at the time. Um, but like, not only when you strip that away, but I think because like they are so unabashedly square yeah. that there's something like fun and interesting about it. And I guess that's like the definition of being a hipster, but I like, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's, we'll, we'll get into this. I think we should have a bigger conversation about liking things. Uh, ironically and liking things truthfully. Right, and that's and that's that's one of the difficult things about this is like, is the embrace of this, how genuine is it? Yeah, you know? yeah, and on that note, uh, let's listen to one of their Square songs. Yep. We've only just begun. Uh, here it is, it's The Carpenters, We've Only Just Begun from their 1970 LP, Close to You. have only just begun and we've only just begun talking about this song (laughs) as well wow very true hi i'm a dad now apparently (laughs) so yeah so that's we've only just begun so that was written by one of my favorite songwriters paul williams and uh his writing partner at the time roger nichols and uh so paul williams uh, you know interesting deep 70 songwriter president now current president of ascap yes We've talked about him on the show before. I don't know if we've ever covered one of his songs, though. I was trying to remember. I feel like he just sort of keeps coming up on the periphery. Yeah. So I'm sort of happy to actually address him yeah. head on and hear one of his He's most well-known over, songs. Uh, all the Carpenter stuff, so yeah. Yeah, so he was signed to A&M at the time. He was a young 70s singer-songwriter. He had had some hits. He had a he wrote a really good song for the Monkees called Someday Man that was mm. on one of the later albums, which is another one of I think his absolute best songs. Mm. Uh, then he found totally found his people with the the Jim Henson crew when he mm. was a guest on the Muppet Show in like '73. Mm. And then he uh, <laughs> this is the this is the big story that is amazing. Jim Henson was like, "Can you write all the songs for the Muppet movie?" And he was like, "Yeah, I'd love to." 
And then he was like, do you want to hear demos? And Henson was like, no, I trust you. I'll hear them when I'm recording them. <laughs> so he didn't even listen to them. Wow. And Paul Williams wrote the fucking Rainbow Connection. <laughs> like, that's really cool. Yeah. And also that Jim Henson was like, no, you got it. No, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> that's something about cultivating a, a incredible creative environment. Yeah, it's true. You yeah. know, like, that's what I do with you, Kyle. I'm yes. like, Kyle's like, do you want me to submit We're the like- Jim Henson and Paul Williams of... Uh, um, Kick, uh, uh, Brooklyn, uh, Brooklyn, Brooklyn Radio Brooklyn Music Podcasting. Podcast. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Kyle's like, do you want me to submit notes for you to <laughs> observe? And I'm like, no, Kyle, I trust you in the studio <laughs> yeah, yeah. for Kick the Jukebox. No, but so this song was actually written as a commercial yeah. for Crocker Citizens Bank, <laughs> which is one of the reasons, which is a, a California bank branch at the time, mm. which is one of the reasons uh, I think it's an interesting connection to the bullshit that we just heard, the uh, the JD and the straight shot <laughs> crap. Um, yeah. Because, first of all, a vibrant, gorgeous, beautiful swinging song. Yeah. Um, big, big, like almost Beach Boy style harmonies with, I, I think it was like, I read like a 29 part harmony or something like that. 29 part harmony, that actually is for another song we're going to talk about. Oh I'm gonna my correct God. You. That's for well, I'll, never the, fall, songs... I'll Never Fall in Love Again yes, has yes, the 29 yes. part harmony in oh, okay. it. But that being said, uh, something that is interesting about this song is that definitely this song really came to life with Richard Carpenter's arrangement mm. of the song. There is the earlier version of the song, which is the commercial version of the song is a lot more like thin and P I think if I remember correctly, it's piano based. Mm. It's with Williams doing like his really nice, like seventies vocals, but definitely this song was meant for something like, uh, you know, a group like the Carpenters with like mm. Karen's like nice intimate vocals yeah. and then, uh, Richard's nice backups that he's doing on it. Mm -hmm. So let's just the Carpenters. For those of you that don't know, they are a brother sister team. Yep. They uh, were always apparently interested in music growing up, and that's something that they had in common that made them get along yep. as kids. Uh, Karen was a drummer primarily. Yeah. Always, yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Richard, very, very talented, like jazz drummer. Um, yeah, yeah. Really, really talented jazz drummer. Yeah. And Richard was a was a keyboardist primarily. Yeah. Uh, and then Richard, and we'll talk, I think, a little bit more about this, just about the album in general, but he was hired uh they they were living in like connecticut i think is where they grew up new in, haven connecticut, in new haven yeah. and mm -hmm. they moved to california because parents wanted more music opportunities for richard yep and he ended up getting hired by a church and ended up doing all these like lush organ arrangements for um like popular songs at the time mm. along with the hymnals that he was like you know writing for mm. uh and definitely there's like a devotional aspect to all this music that i think sort of goes th runs through the current of it yeah this, yeah this is more louis and kyle religious <laughs> shit yeah 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 Yeah, for sure we it's always have to bring lens. Uh, yeah our lord and savior jesus, jesus christ into, into, <laughs> nice as much little, as we can two we nice little jewish in. boys yeah yeah, 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 yeah yeah but we're it, jews for jesus yeah, yeah surprise <laughs> yeah anyway um and so, so this song, uh, you know, Richard Carpenter had heard it and thought this would be really good for us. Mm. Uh, he recognized Paul Williams's voice. That's the only way that he knew that Paul Williams had written it. Mm. They ran into each other on the A and M lot, uh, mm. which actually is currently the Henson lot uh, wow. in L.A. Yeah, A and M Studios is now the Henson lot. So mm. that's a weird connection. Mm. And so they ran into each other there. 
And uh, he was like, did you write We've Only Just Begun? And he was like, yeah, I did. And then Richard was like, you know, because it was written for a commercial. Right. He was like, does it have a bridge and, you know, like another refrain? And Paul Williams was like, yeah, it totally does. I'll sell you the song. Like, we'll do this. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll do this. And then Paul Williams, like, you know, rushed over <laughs> to his writing partner and they, like, wrote the rest of the song because yeah, yeah, they yeah. hadn't written all of it. Right. Um, but, you know... Written in a rush, it's just a gorgeous version of this song. I mean, it's just—it's just—it's a fucking stone cold classic. Oh my god, yeah, just like a brainworm, and uh, what a way to start off uh, the album and their first hit album. And uh, Karen's voice is so—I mean, we could talk a lot about Karen's voice, but it's so—you know—it's very rich. Um, yeah. And but but she apparently had a pretty thin. Like a thin vocal, she wasn't a belter, and she was apparently always no. really close to the mic. Yes, which yes. gives it this intimacy, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, and I, I read like it was a lot about her um, expertise and knowledge with how to best get her voice to sound good on, because it never sounds thin. It her voice never no. sounds thin. It really sounds uh, rich, and um, you know, and it's kind of. Uh, you know, and you could hear it on this song. It's like related to why maybe they were considered sort of square, and we'll talk about this. Yeah. Um, maybe on some other songs, but you know, she doesn't um, stray far from the melody. She's not a uh, you know a big diva vocalist uh, belter. Yep. She is, and she has a decent range. She's got a very rich, deep voice, but um, she's not going to stay stray far from the melody and. You know, that fits my taste in terms of, like, you know, honoring the best, you know, it, it's about the song first. Yes, yeah, there's a purity to it. Yeah. That is very, very good. Yeah, totally. Uh, one more little tidbit about this song before we move on, just because I think that it's really fun, is that this was a song written for this bank. It was meant to attract younger customers to this bank to take out loans. It apparently attracted all these like people in their like early twenties who had just gotten married, you know, like younger customers who had like no collateral and no way to pay back these loans. So Crocker citizens ended up dropping the campaign because it wasn't attracting the customers that they want but the song was so successful and the campaign was so powerful that then crocker citizens licensed and franchised the campaign to other banks across the country <laughs> so that's the way they made money from this campaign not from attracting customers that isn't that so it's so weird and I, so I love weird it and I love hilarious. it and also it's kind of like weirdly perversely tied into I feel like of course, like, one of the first hits of The Carpenters, known to be, like, you know, in popular, understood, like, popularly to be, like, a square, vanilla, commercial, mm -hmm. um, easy listening band. Like, of course one of their first songs came from... They got it from... It was a commercial first. <laughs> yeah, I mean? like, yeah, it was a commercial first. They recognized like, the brilliance of it. Yeah. And then also around this time too, and this is a good segue into our next song, is that like they they didn't consider themselves square. They had rich no. lives. Yes. They were perfectly like 
they weren't conservative. No. They were pretty normal people, it seemed like. Like, yeah. they were, I'm not saying that they were, like, you know, strict, like, Marxist leftists that right. then the record label forced them to wear these fucking turtlenecks. Right. <laughs> but it's like, but but the, the, the A&R people were like, this is how we're going to market you. And I think they were sort of looked as an an looked at as an antidote to mm-hmm. the counterculture going on at the time. The, Absolutely, the, yeah. the rock, the you know the the Vietnam protest music that was going on at the time. Yeah, which ultimately is kind of um, did them a real disservice, and is not really who they were and who they ever went out to be. And apparently Richard just fucking hated it. Yeah, he wasn't interested well, in Karen it. Karen hated it too. I mean, yeah. she eventually. You know, she came out with this solo album at the end of the 70s that never got released. Yeah. And that was her, like, her version of Breaking Out. Like, you know, she had already established her brand, but it was like, she's talking explicitly about sex. It's more disco-y. It's upbeat. It's dancing. Yeah, Off the Wall and Rock With You were offered to her before they were offered to Michael Jackson. Yeah. Aren't you proud of the research I did for this episode? Considering that I didn't know a lot about them before... (laughs) Cool though, right? I'm impressed. So here's another track uh, from this record. Uh, I'll never fall in love again. Yes. This is the one, Kyle, that Kyle chose to to really focus on. Yeah. Uh, anything you want to say about it before we listen to some of it? Um, it's uh, one of the many uh, Burt Bacharach songs on yeah, this. Yeah, we're gonna talk about Bacharach. We're gonna, which we gotta, we've never talked about on this show, which ne- is shocking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've never talked about Burt Bacharach. Interesting. Um, no. Uh, I have an interesting uh, personal connection to this song. Ooh. Um, well, yeah, I guess I'll just say it now. Well, we'll, we'll listen to it first, and then and then I'll say, and then we'll we'll talk about how my dad used to sing an altered version of this song to me when I was a kid. Oh, but, this uh, does not totally surprise me. All yeah. right, here we go. Here's "I'll Never Fall in Love Again" by the Carpenters. I'll never fall in love again. I'll never fall in love again. Tell me what it's all about Cause I've been there and I'm glad I'm out I know those chains, those chains that bind you That is why I'm here to remind you What do you get when you fall in love? You get I think we can safely say That's what you get when you fall in love <laughs> Is a song like that That's what you get So... All right. So first of all, what what's the altered version that your dad sang to you? This so, song. So yeah, this this is one of probably the first songs I ever heard because for some weird reason, when my dad was a kid, he'd sing. What do you get when you wake up at night? Do you smell your own farts under the blanket? Yeah, I had a feeling it was going to be fart related. <laughs> I just had a feeling it was going to be fart related. And that's probably the the. Um, my dad's uh, greatest cultural contribution. Well, you know, boomer dads love farts. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I don't, I don't totally understand that. I don't know <laughs> if our generation of dads love farts as much as boomer dads. Love I wonder. Farts. I mean, it, it, it was. I loved it. Oh yeah, you I thought was like, it was. Bah! Yeah, you loved it. Do you smell your own farts at night under, under the blanket? blanket. <laughs> I mean, it's very true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, very yeah. telling. So yes. Yeah, so <laughs> So I hope that's not the only reason you chose that song. But if it is, I I understand. No, we're done. Let's move on. (laughs) I mean, what else is there to say? Well, did we hear at the beginning that like really strange otherworldly 29 part vocal harmony that sounds like a chorus of terrifying robots? Well, yeah, and it sounds like um, it sounds to me like, well, so this is 1970. 
it sounded to me kind of like Broadway-esque. Sure. It sounds like fifth dimension, maybe like a little bit of yes. hair. It's it's vocal group. Yeah. Yes, totally. But Mamas like and big, the Papas as well. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, this song is also interesting because this is not the most popular version of this song. The Dionne Warwick yeah. version is the most popular. Um, but it's sort of interesting just too because, you know, the Carpenters did a lot of covers. Um and they were kind of an interesting bridge, 60s to 70s, sort of like jazz vocalist versus like rock and roll kind of bridge. I mean, they're a bridge in a lot of ways, but we, we could talk about specifically about all their albums sort of had a mix of originals written by Richard. Um, which are good. Which are good. Especially, Top of the world. Yeah, the last three tracks on this album, I just kind of want to shout them out because they kind of comprise this little suite that he wrote for the record. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's... um. Uh, I just want to make sure I get the titles right. It's um, Mr. Gert, Mr. Gooter, which is about his, his boss that he hated when he worked at Disneyland, <laughs> where he was hired to play like songs from the 1900s. And all these people at Disneyland were like, play modern songs. And he was like, okay, I'll be nice to you. <laughs> yeah, and, play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then Mr. Gruder, who worked at Disneyland, was his boss, was like, you're being too radical. Yeah, 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 and he yeah. fired him. More like corporate, you know, I know. He, shenanigans, hegemony. He you know? probably was playing like Burt Bacharach songs. Yeah. He was like, you hippie yeah he was probably playing like what the world needs yeah, now yeah, yeah, is right. love sweet love and mr gruder is like this song has no place at disneyland yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you're fucking fired like play the know. battle hymn of the republic yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> like um and then i kept on loving you and another song and they sort of comprised this little suite at the end of the album that's very strong yep um, I just want to shout him out just because we don't talk about him as a songwriter otherwise. Yeah. But this song was not written by him. It was written by Burt Bacharach. Yeah. Who mainly with his um, partner. What was his partner's name again? It's I'm blanking on it right now. Oh, geez. Oh, this is this is us uh, being yeah, bad little yeah, boys. Yeah. Anyway, uh, they wrote a lot for Dionne Warwick, yep. uh, including like, do you know the way to San Jose? Yeah. The aforementioned what the world needs now is love, sweet love, which I think is one of the best songs of the 60s. Oh, totally. But they were writing from a really different place than a lot of other 60s songwriters. Mm. They were coming from a real jazz angle. Yes, totally. And I, I would say a real like. They owe a lot to like Great American Songbook, like George Gershwin, and sort of that a, kind of stuff, like you know Rodgers and Hammerstein, like sort of this like current of like a bit popular musical song. theater too. Absolutely, and I, I put the Carpenters in that category as well. Yes, and it's 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 a tradition that is as old as like recorded music, basically. But for some reason, they just were looked at as so square in the seventies because they weren't hard rocking. When really they just they were just doing something that. It wasn't that radical. It's something that had existed for a long time and was always very popular with people. And it's you know? weird looking back to, I mean, how they, you know, how they're viewed looking back and at the time, because they're what, you know, we think of, you know, after the Beatles, rock was ascendant, nothing else mattered. Sure. But that's not the case. The, no, not the at Beatles, all. The uh, Beatles, you know, um, uh, the the first uh, Beatles album was knocked off by, uh, I think it was the Hello Dolly cast uh, you know, cast sure. album or like how transitional is that? It's so interesting, right? Yeah, exactly. And so throughout the '60s, there was there wasn't yet established this consensus that rock and roll is, you know, ascendant. You know, there were strains of in the and the Carpenters are a good example of, you know, blending the influences uh, that were still popular at the time. You know, imagine being in the '60s and you're and and th- uh, you know you're 
you know, the counterculture and what we think of now, that's cool. They're listening to all the Woodstock bands, but like a lot of people were listening to, you know, Herb Alpert and, and Burt yeah, Bacharach. Herb, and, Herb Alpert, who signed these guys, exactly. A&M Records, who heard something in them. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So there were these influences of, you know, show tunes, musical theater, mu- the music of which before rock and roll was like all over the Billboard charts. Yeah. Uh, jazz, smooth jazz, rock and roll, of course, too. You know, they cover a Beatles song on this album. Um, yeah, and they covered a lot of Beatles songs. Yeah. yeah and rewrote them to be really like kind of soft but also like very a little more complex musically yeah Yeah, lush absolutely the this this album has a really good slowed down version of help on it yeah which is very good yeah uh yeah uh, i agree with with all of that and i also just want to add if we're talking about the ascendancy of rock and roll as a genre Really, it's a short-lived ascendancy. Yeah. I mean, this is like early 70s when definitely rock was king. Yeah. But already by like 75, 76, the influences of punk and disco and early hip-hop were already infiltrating the charts in like very meaningful ways. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like... It's sort of it's a bit of a myth, you know, that that was a st- the style of music that everybody was listening to and that everybody only cared about. Especially with this record, which sold really well oh, with yeah. a big cross section of people. A lot of people secretly bought this record because yeah, right. they didn't want to be considered uncool. Right. When this is just it's just a gorgeous it's a gorgeous piece of work. This record totally. And and you have to think too. This is 1970. So first of all, they are at the forefront of this wave of like soft rock that yeah. the 70s is famous for. But they are right at the beginning of this. And um, I mean, they're really one of the first bands, but then you have to think too about like after 1969, there was this divergence in rock. So mm-hmm. you think of like, you know, the Tommy and the Who and then Led Zeppelin and maybe some Pink Floyd, you know, that like what we think of as like, big classic rock like harder stuff but then there was like the Crosby Stills Nash um you know that that album came out in 1969 and that yeah. ushered in the wave of like country rock Laurel Canyon stuff definitely that this is more akin to and that was like really ascended too that was a backlash against like the hard rock of the 60s definitely and yeah so they were kind of part of the they were part of that scene, yeah. and they are grouped in somewhat with the part of that like Sunshine California sound yeah. that was going on, but they're really on the soft end of the spectrum. Totally. Because like, the band that I would consider on like the hard end of that spectrum, because they were more guitar driven a little more direct is something like America yeah. you know who are also a part of that scene like with the like song the like Eagles yeah like or like the Eagles you know like horse with no name like that yeah. kind of work that is just a little more there's a grimness to it mm-hmm. but definitely this is all the same there's st- they're drawing from the same musical palette here you totally, know totally. yeah so my mom just texted me and it's Hal David as Burt Bacharach's writing oh, partner yes, thank thanks you. mom thank thanks you, for mom. listening <laughs> yeah anyway uh yeah so <laughs> so this is Kick the Jukebox on kpis.fm, the Golden Stream. This has been a really interesting conversation about these guys. Yeah. Um, before we finish up, we're, we have one more song to talk about. Uh, I just want to shout out that a bunch of the Wrecking Crew people were on this album. Totally. Wrecking Crew, for those of you that don't know, were a crack team of musicians that just worked basically with everybody mm-hmm. in the 60s and early 70s and just churned out pop hit after pop hit after pop hit. They did a, they 
they played on, you know, all of the sessions for Pet Sounds for mm-hmm. Brian Wilson. That's one of the things they're most well known for. Yeah. Also, all like all those Dionne Warwick records. Phil Spector. Yeah, Phil Spector used them. Uh, the Monkees used them. I, you know, can't get away with, you know, only talking about <laughs> the Monkees once in an episode of Kick the Jukebox. And um, on this record, Hal Blaine uh, drums a lot, who said that uh, Karen Carpenter was a... Uh, very good drummer but just wasn't used to drumming in the studio and that's why they didn't use her as much and he had a lot of respect for her as a drummer and coming from Hal Blaine that's that's nothing to shake a stick at no yeah shake a drumstick at (laughs) oh boy all right so we have one more um uh Burt Bacharach Hal David song Mm -hmm. to to uh end off with here classic classic it's they long to be close to you yep so before we sign off, you know, please rate us on iTunes, you know, recommend us to friends if you like. If you love music, we think, you, you know, we think everybody should love music and we love talking about music. Uh, you know, kpiss.fm, tune in. There's a lot of other good shows on kpiss. Anything we want to say uh, other than just the fact that it's clearly such a classic about Close to You uh, before we, we, we let our listeners just bathe in the lusciousness that is Close to You? Um. I mean, it's a great song. It's a classic. We all know it. We all love it. Um, I first... There's this... uh, Talk about... uh, Weirdly... I mean, I think this is true for a lot of people. The Carpenters, weirdly, was like... Just like slipped its way into my family in different weird ways. Yeah. So I think I may have told you... We may have talked about this movie before, but... There's this little-known movie called Amazon Women on the Moon from the 80s. It's this comedy movie. It's pretty much a movie made up a bunch of comedy sketches. Yeah. And directed by John uh, Landis. Yeah, John Landis and uh, oh, Joe Dante. Yes, yes, Joe. Who, some of the sketches. Yeah. Joe Dante, one of the official directors of Kick the Jude Box. Yes, yes. John yes. Landis is not because he murdered people with a helicopter. Really? You don't know about that? No. Oh my gosh. Well, his son's a, a rapist. Yeah, and his too. son's a rapist. Yeah. But we'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, John Landis. Yeah, John Landis is off the list. Oh, I didn't know that. That's too squirt. many things. Yeah. <laughs> too many things happen with John um, Landis. But anyway, I'm sorry to bring that up on the air. You you got you got like scared looking. No. You're like, "Oh my god, I didn't know." No, I didn't Louis. know that. <laughs> anyway. Oh, the Landis crew. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, anyways, it's a hilarious movie with all these great sketches from the late 80s. One of them with David Allen Greer is about, I mean, it's a bit dated, but it's like the con- the the plot of like it's this uh, black guy who has no soul and that's the plot that's the game of this uh, sketch and it's really really funny with David Allen Greer and B.B. King's in it it's really funny um, but he's pretty much just sings all his, the character is Don No Soul Simmons uh-huh. and he sings all these like cheesy uh, 70s easy listening songs and uh, Close to You is uh, one of those from uh, that medley. So I recommend uh, YouTube, Don Nolsoul Simmons, but then also just watch all of uh, Amazon Women on the Moon. Uh, It's one of my favorite comedy movies of all time and no one's seen it. Oh, everybody. What a wonderful, chilled out, square kick the jukebox. (laughs) I'm Louis Perlman. And I'm Kyle Gordon. And we will see you around like a record. They long to be close to you Why do stars fall down from the sky Every time you walk by Just like me They long to be close to you Kick the jukebox, it's so much fun Kyle and Louie are number one. Kick the jukebox.
just kicking a rhyme, talking about music all the time.